Yeah, morning everyone. So, for those of you who have not yet met me, my name is Ruan. I'm, um, let me joke and say I'm one of the youngers. Uh, I'm one of the elders here in the congregation, um, along with, with Warren and, and Kala. Kala is spending some time recovering on the farm after certain things that had to take place this week. <laughs> um, Yo, I've really been enjoying the, the weather the last two days, or it seems like it's changing now again, but the sun has been incredible after a week of rain. I must say, like, rain, there's actually some positive connotations that I do have with it. Um, like, you get to be all comfortable, blanket, it's not ideal for working and productivity, but it's still quite nice. Um, but some association that I have that I think a lot of you might resonate with is that of pancakes. And like even just the smell of cinnamon triggers that, like I am craving pancakes right now. So I remember um, when I was still in the house, we stayed in Bloemfontein, and um, I think it would have been around my matric year. It was raining, and my mother wanted uh, us to have pancakes, so she asked, we had a, a guy came, that came to visit and spend some time with us, and she asked my brother and this guy to, to take charge of the pancakes. So they had the recipe as my brother's first time making pancakes. Smithy, I don't know, he was like close to 30, but I don't know what happened. So they're busy looking at the recipe and making everything. And then you know that first one, you kind of flop and you taste it, and this thing is just, it's not nice at all. And then, like, debugging, going back to the recipe, trying to figure out what's going on here, they realized that in the recipe, rather than a quarter teaspoon of salt, they read four teaspoons of salt. <laughs> so they bulked up this pancake butter with, with, like, a lot of salt. And obviously, intuition is, how are we going to counter the salt? throw in more sugar. So they just kept throwing sugar and sugar and sugar to try and balance out the, the salt in the recipe. And I think like we obviously know things are in proportion to each other. But just thinking about the example of a pancake, so uh, a silly example, and I, I want to tie it through to just what we've been considering over the last few weeks going through the book of John. So say, for example, you tell me I need to bring pancakes. It's like a big event. Um, I've got one job, bring pancakes. And I arrive and I say, I've got my pancakes. And everyone's ready. We're sitting around the table. We're ready to open up and have our pancakes. And all of a sudden, I start taking out, got some baking powder, salt. I've got my eggs. I've got my flour. I've got my oil. I've got my milk. I mean, it's, it's pancakes, right? It's like all of us understand. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not the individual raw ingredients. It's the whole thing. It's, it's the coming together of these things that actually makes up pancakes. And I think that's sometimes the danger just in like, having different topics that we consider in the Christian life. It's like we take a little bit of this, we take a little bit of this, but each one of them remains individual ingredients that we have knowledge about, but don't actually allow these things to be worked into us. And so we've been working through the book of 1 John. Yo, it's probably about two months now already. And there's a lot of different things that we've touched on and that John speaks about in, in this, um, like what the normal Christian life actually is supposed to look like. And today we're going to consider 
1 John 4, verse 1 to 6. But before I jump into the detail of that, um, I quickly just want to make a few observations. So on, on Friday night, while I was preparing, Devin was actually there by me. And at a stage, I was like, this is actually quite strange. This portion is, is strange for me, it, just in the way that it's positioned. So there's this, there's this mathematician, philosopher, also Christian guy called Blaise Pascal. And he, he wrote this little, well, not, he didn't write the book. He had um, what he called pensées. He's a French guy, so it's like loose thoughts. And they compiled this thing in, the, in a book, and they sort of made chapters. But it's like, it's not very connected. It's like these random little blurts of, of thoughts that went through his mind. And it's profound if you read them individually, but it's not meant to be connected. Now, that's not the way that the Bible does things. It's not just these little random nuggets of wisdom that are thrown into a certain order. And the people who do the translations and so of a Bible try just at least give us a bit of headings to know where we are, put some verses on that it's easy to reference and find. But if we just think about it, the letter of John is a letter that was written to the church. It's a single flow. It's like he's building an argument. He's putting certain things together that he wants to communicate. And now I want to show you what was weird for me, okay? So last week, Kala preached on love. So he touched on two portions. He touched on 1 John 3 and 1 John 4. So just this header that the translation guys put in, in, in chapter 3, verse 11, it's like the header they put in is love one another. And Kala touched on that last week, and there's this whole section that speaks about love. And then if you jump to chapter 4, verse 7, it, there's this thing again of God is love, and it goes into the detail of this. And it's like, it's like yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Love one another, and God is love. But smack bang, in the middle of this section on love, the heading that's put there, and that's the section for 1 John 4, it's test the spirit. And I was, it's strange. It's like you you're speaking about love, and the next moment you're jumping and speaking about false prophets and discerning spirits and these types of things. And it just, it's, it feels weird initially. But unlike Ponce, which is just a bunch of loose thoughts, if we consider the whole letter, there's intentionality and structure that John intended with this. And I think it's essential, actually, to consider this portion of Scripture in the context of love. And I just wrote here, it's like the fact that he ties this in, the fact that he ties in truth with love, for me, communicates that a true understanding of God's love for us and an authentic love that we have towards God and towards other people necessitates truth. It's not something different. It's not loose ingredients that both just have to be there. These things tie in together. A few weeks ago, we had um, Mike DeFay that preached, and he, sort of, as part of his sermon, he just dropped this thing where he said, we all theologians. It's like sometimes people try to shy away from, from the term theology, but it's just, it's like, what do you believe about God? And if we, if we come to terms with the fact that we are all the, theologians, you're just, either just going to be a bad one or a good one. It's like we need to actually consider what is truth. And just with that in mind, that what I'm going to be sharing isn't just some loose thing. 
it's actually tied into this concept of love. And I think next week we might pick up again with love. I want us now to actually step into 1 John 4, verse 1 to 6. Okay. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So just chewing on on this portion, I want to break it up into different sections. And so I'm going to say the, the first part in verse 1 and verse 2 we see how John gives us a certain instruction. There's an instruction that's given to the church. And then from there on, we see it gives certain information. There's a certain affirmation, and there is a qualification. <laughs> so I'm going to jump around just in, in these four sort of sections a bit and not go necessarily in that order. So he gives the instruction, information, affirmation, qualification. So I want to start off with the qualification part that he gives, and that's uh, the section, verse 5 and 6, actually, where he makes the distinction from them being the false prophets, uh, that they are from the world, and therefore speak from the world, and um, and the world listens to them. And then verse 6, he says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And I think the important thing to note here as John is addressing something about false prophets is he's not some watchman on the wall YouTuber or Bereans 1699 YouTube channel where making videos and calling out certain people and calling them false prophets. He's not a person that's disconnected from the people on the ground. He's actually someone that has deep relationships with the people there who's walking in fellowship, who knows the people, who knows the things that are happening. He's a father and a leader in the house. He's got a desire for the people to walk in holiness and truth and in love. And he's aware of certain things that are happening around them, like certain doctrines and stuff that's going out. And I think it's, it's actually a very important thing to note. and Because just in, in our, our time and age, it's, you can so easily switch on your phone and listen to anything that you want, and obviously that leads to people listening to, to like things that are completely against the truth, which we'll touch on now. But then you also get those people who make it their point to call out the guys that they do not agree with. But oftentimes these guys are completely removed from this local context. And each time we see in the New Testament people being called out for things that are false, it takes place within a congregational setting. It takes place where there's someone that actually has relationship, and there's, there's that sort of fellowship. And I want to ask you guys, actually, 
like a st- stay clear of those just people calling out guys for the sake of calling them out. It can actually stir division amongst us. It's like, but there's, there's healthy ways, there's healthy voices that we can listen to that can help us discern between these things. And we see that the actual mentioning of these things are required. Um, and if we can look at Titus 1 verse 9, we see Paul writing to Titus and he says, he, um, being an elder in the church, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Similarly, in, in 2 Timothy, it's also giving instructions about eldership, and he's, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, preach the word, be ready in and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so we see in the New Testament that there's, there's certain people that have a responsibility within the church to guard sound doctrine and to rebuke that which is not in line with that. And again, both Titus and Timothy, before the part where they say that this is the thing that uh, an elder within the church should be able to do, there's a lot of character qualifications that the person needs to have before they actually have this role. And I think that's just also the thing with, with all these voices and YouTube channels that you can just switch on. In God's house, to carry influence, you need to be tested. There needs to be a witness among the people where they know your life and know the character that you carry, know the love that you have for people. With some person sitting on YouTube, it's like you don't actually know that. You don't know the fruit of their lives, which is a requirement to carry weight in God's household. But there's still this thing of truth, maintaining truth and holding that. And I want to move to the, the second part of, of 1 John where I, I can cluster it under information. So as John is writing and he's qualifying and saying, it's like, whatever we brought to you is truth. And he's telling them to discern what's not. He gives them a bit of information. And that's 1 John 4 but from verse 2 where it says, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that has not confessed Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. And he, and he goes on. So he, he gives some information. And again, it's, it's things most likely that the people in that time within that setting would have been confronted with. People that are saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And there's actually a number of scriptures right through the New Testament where we see this happening. And I think it's important, and I'm going to run through it quickly. We're not going to read it, but I'm going to run through a few. Because I think just especially for our generation, like my generation and the next generation, um, it becomes more and more a thing of like, let everyone just have their own truth. It's like, I don't necessarily agree with you, but you do you, <laughs> I'll do me. It's like, let's just leave it at that. But again, to genuinely love and know God, it necessitates truth. And there's a number of times where it's, in, in the New Testament, which we'll look at now, where it's not just this like, hey guys, believe truth, make sure that you believe truth, but he, they don't actually confront the things that are false. So just, uh, we're going to run through this quickly. In Galatians 1, Paul confronts them about believing another gospel. 
And this other gospel is, is like where they falling back into the law and into works rather than faith. In 2 Corinthians 11, he, he addresses false apostles. In Romans 16, he addresses things that cause division and creates obstacles contrary to the doctrine that was taught. In 2 Thessalonians 2, he addresses things about the judgment day and the resurrection. In 2 Peter 2, Peter addresses specific people, not just the things that they taught, but specific people that he mentions swerved from the truth. And then he expands a bit on what of those things are, and it's, it's people that are claiming the resurrection has already happened. In 2 Timothy 4, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and he speaks about how people are going to have itchy ears, and how they're going to move to teachers that just, they teach what they want to hear, but he says that they will turn away from truth and wander off into myths. In Hebrews 13, they speak about being led away to strange teachings. And he goes on about like placing an emphasis on foods. In James, James makes clear that it's impossible to have faith without works. In 2 Peter 2, which we already touched on, he also addresses false prophets. And he says that they secretly bring destructive heresies. And this sort of lines up with what Jesus also spoke about in, in Matthew 7 verse 15, where he says that, that there will be those that come in as wolves with sheep clothing, actually ravenous wolves. And so just con like considering these things, there's, the, there's like the outright obvious. It's like this is... Someone that says Jesus never actually existed. It's like that's something that, that's quite obvious that we can confront. But there's a lot of the things that, he, that they touch on that's actually quite nuanced. And I quickly want to use my table for a, another example here. So if you think about toxic, like poisonous things... If you've got a bottle that's written toxic and it's standing in your kitchen, the chances of you using this, taking a sip out of it and enjoying this, and then afterwards be like, oh, shucks. It's like, this is, it's quite obvious. This is toxic. But then what about something like this? So yeah, I've just got a water bottle with some water. You have got another water bottle that looks exactly the same. And if you look closely, it's like it's people at the back probably won't even see. But it's like I, I just threw in some random stuff there. But it's it's like slightly, like slightly darker. But at first glance, if you're not thinking about it, you might just take a sip out of it and not even taste that there's something else in there. And so if you think in a kitchen, the safe thing and the two unsafe things, the most dangerous for you is the one that looks the closest to the truth. And I'm going to touch on this a, a bit later, but like a lot of these things that, that is addressed are, are things that are actually so nuanced and close to the truth. And one of the examples I, I thought just on, of mentioning, and we'll, we'll step into the instruction part to 
see how we can discern. But um, one of the, the things that are actually it's like close to the truth is what, what has been termed hypergrace theology. And so to explain just the difference broad strokes, um, Umkwes mentioned how Alcala also spoke a few weeks ago about um, there's a, that portion in Romans where it, it says, like, as it's like sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And, I mean, we have the teaching as, like, as we confess our sin to God, as we become a new creation, God wipes away our sin and we're viewed as holy in God's sight. And so there's, there's truth there. What hypergrace then goes and does is it overemphasizes the grace at the cost of like the ongoing repentance and walking with Jesus. And so it says, once you've been born again, you can sin, you can fall into sin full on. You don't ever have to repent because once you've repented, you're made, like God looks at you through the eyes of Jesus and you are perfect in his sight. And so you can do whatever you want because effectively sin does not exist anymore. And so you see, it's, it's, it's close to the teaching of the forgiveness of sin and being made right in God's sight. But there's those subtle differences. And I'm going to use this example when we get to the instruction just of, of discerning these things. But the two parts that I believe is, is really important for us as people to consider when thinking about, about truth is the two sides that are given to us in the New Testament to, to protect and guard truth. The one is the personal aspect, which we'll touch on now, and the other part is the communal aspect thereof. There's safety in this. There's safety in, in people actually saying, watch out for these teachings. At certain times, there might actually be explicit mention, as is in the New Testament, of please don't listen to these guys. They are preaching a false doctrine. And you'll hear it if you're part of us as Josh Chen over the years, that, that has happened quite a few times. In terms of the hyper-grace teaching, we've been explicitly asked, do not listen to Joseph Prince. He's teaching the hyper-grace message. And there's, there's these things that it's like as, as a congregation, we'll touch on and we'll, we'll encourage each other and, and um, find those lines. But then the second part, which we're not void of the responsibility for discerning truth ourselves. And that's what I want to touch on, because that is the instruction that we see that John gives at the, at the first part of that. And, and again, just 1 John 4, the first part we, do we have it? Verse 1. Sorry. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. And there's two components that we see coming through in 1 John. A bit earlier, he speaks about how we've been given the spirit of truth that teaches us and that leads us in all truth. And then he actually makes this comment that we, we don't have the need that anyone else should teach us. But as the spirit teaches us what is true, we abide in God. And so if you've been born again, you've been given the spirit of truth inside of you that can help you discern these small nuances. But again, it's, it's one of those things that we see in the Word, that the spirit, the, the spirit and the Word are never decoupled. It's like, but the Spirit makes the Word come alive to us. 
And one of the examples in, in Acts chapter 17, there's the story of Paul preaching in the, the group of Bereans, examining the things that he taught. It's like Paul the apostle comes and he teaches. And there's this group of people that consider the things that he taught and whether it actually lines up with truth. And so we are to know the word and to be able to discern truth. There's a story I heard once, and um, you're, I can't remember who told it. I, I tried searching for it yesterday, but I don't know what search terms to use. So I'm going to make it my own. If you know the actual story, please come share it with me afterwards so I can actually share it right. But the story is something like this. So there's uh, some Asian guy who is in charge of, of like, taking care of certain um, minerals, like important rocks and stuff. So it's, it's like things of value. And it's, it's easy to, to make copies of these things, or at least it looks, it looks real. Um, and so this guy can pretty much touch something and immediately knows, like, oh, this is the fake thing or this is the real thing. And so there's this student that, that comes, and he wants to learn the ways of this master. And so spend time. It's like, how do I get to the point where I can simply touch a rock and know if it's the real thing or the fake thing? So he goes to the master and asks, like, will you teach me? He's like, yeah, sure. So he starts going every day. And what would happen is he comes to the master, and the master would give him, would give him one of these precious rocks. And then they would start speaking about, like, random stuff. And this guy's just sitting with a rock in his hand. And he, they're speaking, and they're speaking about their days, and they're speaking about their families. And like, after a while, he's like, okay, maybe this guy just wanted to build some relationship with me. Surely we'll get to the teaching part just now. But this just continues going. And weeks go past where he arrives, and the guy gives him the, the rock. And he sits there and starts like, playing around with the rock while they're just having conversation about random stuff. And then the one day he comes again, and he's getting really frustrated now. And the guy hands him a rock, and he sits down. And all of a sudden, he's like, wait, something's, something's different here. And, and the master then says, but it's like, you've actually learned to discern the real thing from the fake thing by being so sensitive to what is true. And I think it's such a cool, it's just a cool story for me because I think we, we sometimes hop to the thing of like, I need to go and research what false doctrines there are out there so that I can be safe against it. But the best safeguard that we have is being immersed in truth. It's like as we are immersed in the truth of God, as we spend time in the Word, when something comes that's placed within our hands, that's just got a slight nuance to it that's not of the truth, we'll be able to pick that up. And so just using the example again of, of hypergrace, I want us to consider that. So I mentioned what it is. So there's this, this slight twist on it of once we are saved, we do not have to repent again. We can just walk in sin, and we're going to go to heaven and spend eternity with God um, because, yeah, he's forgiven us of our sins. And now let's just look at one scripture in 1 John 3. It's like we don't even have to move to a lot of different ones. So 1 John 3, verse 6 to 9. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who, who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. 
whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's like immediately, it's like, how do we know that a person is righteous? He practices righteousness. It's like you cannot say you're following God and still walk in sin. We see this at the start, and it was one of the first sermons that we did of, of walking in the light. It's like if, if anyone's walking in darkness, he's not of God. And so it's, it's like just knowing, just reading a, a portion of the truth, immediately we can discern, hold up. It's like we're using the same language here, but this is actually very different to this. And so as much as there is the, the safety within community, we are given the instruction to test, to discern. And that comes from the Spirit within us and actually giving ourselves to the Word of Truth. And just like over the years, I've, I've sort of observed the way that people take these messages or when something is, is brought to people, like how they can sometimes freak out. Like, oh, but what if this? What if that? What if I've been believing things wrongly? And it's, it's interesting for me just how... As John introduces this idea, so he gives the instruction, he gives the information, but then he gives a certain affirmation to them as well. And I just want to find the, the exact verse. So 1 John 4, verse 4, he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And there's this confidence that we can have if we've got the Spirit living inside of us. We don't have to fear that this is going to come and like just wash over us as, we, as we're following God, as we're pursuing Him, as we're trying to discern. John gives us this affirmation that He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. You don't have to panic and freak out. It's like, but as you, you try and test Holy Spirit will make these things come alive to you, and you can be confident that you will overcome. And so just, I think, in, in closing, just considering again, instruction, information, affirmation, qualification. As this is given to us, this instruction to go and to test, it's like, let's, let's Consider in our lives the things that we expose to, the voices that we hear, whether it's in our workplaces, the people around us, or things that we listen to. It's like, how much are we actually considering whether this has any, any type of truth to it? And the second part, the communal safety that there is within the church family. It's like, there's an opportunity, like, as you're unsure of something, to bounce it off people that, that carry a responsibility, as, as the Bible speaks, like carrying a responsibility over your soul. And, like, actually just bouncing, um, it's, it's something that, like, if there's a teacher that, or a teaching that I'm a bit unsure about, like, I haven't heard of the guy before, I haven't heard Kala or Warren or someone speak about this guy before, I'll just... Like, hey, guys, what do you think of this? Do you know anything about this guy? What do you think about he, what he teaches? Um, so, like, actually taking initiative from our side, but then also 
if there's a call church-wide to not listen to certain things um, and where, where things are shown out, and you'll see when that happens, as John tries to also give information about, like, what's the actual thing that's, that's wrong here, um, please, please give yourself to that. We, we see in, in some of those portions that I mentioned, it's like, as people get swerved into this, it causes division within the body. It's like, if we're not maintaining the, the word of truth, it's going to bring division in this body. It's like, so let's, let's listen to what the Lord is saying. Let's listen to what leaders are, are saying in this regard. And then just also thinking about this, I mean, it's a very considered truth, test certain things. But, I mean, there's a chance that you might be here this morning and you've never actually even thought about these things, about thought about what these different teachings are, about what is truth and all these, these categories of things. And this morning, I want to make it simple for you. Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is found in the person of Jesus. And before trying to figure out certain philosophies and teachings and compare religions to each other, if that's the place where you are, this morning there's an opportunity to, to not only discover truth that's written down somewhere, but meet the person of Jesus who claims to be the truth. And so I want to ask if we can just stand and um, just close our eyes, everyone, for a moment. So if that is you this morning and you know, it's like you've never actually met the person of Jesus, the, the person that is truth, I want to give you the opportunity and um, I want to ask, just while people's eyes are closed, if you can just raise your hand, and there'll be one or two people that also just look out to, to come and pray with you. So if that is you, and, and you want to meet the person of Jesus today, I want to ask if you can just raise your hand. And just keep it up for a second. Thank you. So someone will just come and pray with you there. But Jesus, we want to thank you that you are the truth, Lord. And, and I pray even in this moment that you would come and reveal yourself um, to every person that, that hasn't met you yet. Or that you would open up their eyes and that they would get to encounter you. Now, Lord, and then I want to pray for, for us as a people. Thank you that you desire us to walk in all these different facets, God, to, to have your kind of love towards one another, to bear fruit, but also to walk in truth, or to be a discerning people, being able to distinguish what is of you and what is not of you, God. And, and I want to pray that, that as we just consider this again, that we would have a greater sensitivity to your leading and um, just things that you point out, Lord. I pray for a greater hunger um, for the Word. and Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the Word to us and make it clear as we're going about our days, what is of you and what is not of you. And God, I pray that we would not shy back um, and withdraw just where we see things are not lining up with you, but that we would take action and, uh, and maintain truth within our own lives and fight for truth in the lives of the people around us, Lord. Thank you for your protection, and thank you, God, that we can have confidence that we can overcome because you have overcome, Jesus.
We praise you. We love you, Lord. Pray the blessing over every single person here. Pray for your presence to, to God, to guide you know, Lord, and that you may be glorified in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.